This program is sponsored by Proponacy, where I'm the president and CEO. Proponacy is the Greek word for coaching. We provide SaaS technology to centers like yours. Most contact centers struggle with their people, whether it be overcoming monotony, attrition, or getting superior performance. Our solution makes it easier and cost-effective to get even more than you could possibly have expected from your front line. The result is loyal customers, engaged employees, and winning, provable, profitable results. You can reach us at Proponacy.com. You are being forwarded to the contact center code. Way back in the day in a galaxy far, far away, uh, I had my first experience with a dog track. Um, I lived in a small town in Connecticut uh, called Ledger, Connecticut, and there was a town, uh, a couple towns over called Plainfield, and they introduced a dog track. And growing up in Connecticut, there were no horse tracks around, nothing that was really close that we could get to. And uh, obviously, there were no casinos at the time. Of, of course, my my hometown is now rampant with casinos, has one of the largest casinos uh, on the East Coast in uh, in Foxwood Casinos, and there's one right across the river in called Mohegan Sun. But anyway, back in the day when the dog track opened, all, all my buddies and I went to the dog track because we thought it was really cool, and we'd bring somewhere between $10 and $20 and, uh, and go to the dog track and, and bet on dogs. Of course, we knew absolutely nothing about betting on dogs, but we'd get the, the racetrack uh form or manual or whatever they call it. And we'd look at the different dogs and knew absolutely nothing about what we were reading. Uh, sometimes we would pick a dog uh, that, you know, went to the bathroom right before they ran or seemed a little more jumpy, or maybe you'd pick one that was a little bit more sleepy. And uh, I'd, I'd like to tell you that I had great, great success uh, while gambling on dogs, but had absolutely no success uh, whatsoever. I did get lucky every once in a while. But you, of course, in gambling, you can make a win, place, or show bet. And then the second thing you could do in dog racing was a quinella, which I think in horse racing is called a perfecta, which means that you pick the first two dogs in the order that they're going to come in. And so we'd make those bets as well. But every time that I I went, I always saved $3 so that I could make a, a trifecta bet. And a trifecta bet was one where you could pick the first three dogs but you actually had to pick them in the exact order that they were going to come in. And if you and if you didn't pick them in the exact same order, you, of course, lost. But the trifecta bet was always a lot of money. Whenever you saw the trifecta winnings, it was always hundreds of dollars, $300, even on a $2 bet, or it might even be more if you had a bunch of, had a bunch of long shots in your, in your numbers. They also had something called a trifecta box. And a trifecta box was that you picked the first three dogs, but they didn't have to come in in the right order. You could pick them in any kind of combination of order that you could. And so I don't know how many times I went to the dog track. I don't know how many times I made a trifecta bet, but I I never actually ever won a trifecta bet. I never even won a trifecta box bet, but I'm sure there were people that did and they made lots of money, but it always seemed like a really cool thing to be able to do to actually pick the trifecta. Well, the reason that I'm talking about trifectas and dog tracks and gambling is has absolutely nothing to do with anything other than the fact that we are in podcast number 80, and the title of my podcast is Contact Leadership 
trifecta, or in this particular case, a box trifecta. And I want to talk to you about, about the trifecta of contact center leadership. What are the three things that you need to do to hit the trifecta in leadership in your day-to-day business? And we have to say right out of the gates that, that this is not something that you can be lucky at. This is not something that you can close your eyes and wish that maybe you might win, that you might come up with a trifecta. This has to be an on-purpose focus that you have day in and day out in your operations. As usual, I'm not going to tell you anything that you don't already know. What we're going to talk about is basic, but it is a way, it is a filter, it is a perspective that you can have. Are you hitting the trifecta? What area of the trifecta are you not hitting that you need to put more focus on? Or maybe you're someone who only has two out of three of them under control. So let's take a look at the contact center leadership trifecta. They're not in order. So this is really kind of a box, which means that all three of these are very, very important. You need to win and be successful at all three. So first up in the trifecta is your performance. The beauty of contact centers is is that you can actually know your performance and you can get better at it. Unlike some other jobs where it's really kind of hard sometimes to figure out what the real measurement is. In, In a contact center, you have measurement every day, every hour, every week, every month, every quarter, every year. There are numbers that you can measure your performance by. And for you, that's probably KPIs. You probably have key performance indicators that you're being measured by. And usually your frontline reps are measured by a certain number of KPIs, and then you've got those as well that are most important to you. So how are you doing on your KPIs? How are you doing on the things that measure your performance? I know that you, that you intuitively know this answer if you're a leader of any kind, whether you're leading a supervisor group, you're the call center manager, the director, or the VP, or the, the president of the organization, you know exactly how you're doing on performance. And I also know that whatever you're doing, you want to be better. And so one of the ways that you have to get better is, is you have to have ownership and accountability. And first of all, you have to own the numbers. They are your numbers. But you already know that you can't make the numbers on your own. You need help. And you need help from your supervisors or your managers or your frontline people. You need accountability. You have to have accountability. And the only way that you can do that is to have ownership all the way up and down the line. Does your call center manager own their numbers? Do your supervisors own their numbers? And does your frontline own their numbers? Now, when I talk about ownership, that means that that they understand their numbers. They understand what the the actions that they need to take, whether those are things they need to start to do or things they need to stop doing in order to be successful. And they have to own the numbers more than you do. You know, this is very much like being a parent. When when you're a parent, you spend your entire life with your kids, getting them to accept and own things more than you do. You want them to own and and want things more than you want them to know. When they're very, very young, you want them to, to know that they're not supposed to cross the street because they'll get hit by a car. And at the point that you know that they own it, that they, that they recognize it and, and they understand it and they, they'll stop, they won't cross the street. Otherwise, you're going to worry about it more than they do. And as they proceed through growing up, you're going to worry more about their school than they worry about their school until the point that, you, that they own it. When you, when you see your kids own their grades, 
When they care more about their grades than you care about their grades, you can step back and go, okay, listen, I've transferred ownership. They now care more than I do. I can still care, but I, but I know that they own it. And this goes through everything and every different facet of life as a parent, as you try to try to transfer this ownership, transfer this caring from one to the other, you have to be able to transfer the caring and ownership of, of your, your employees' performance when they own it more than you do. And that won't be the case with everyone. You won't be able to do it with everyone, but, but you understand that it has to be a culture of ownership. They have to own their performance. Do your employees, at whatever level you're at, do they own their performance? Do they own it in the sense that they really understand how they're calculated? Had a conversation the other day with a, 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 a contact center person that was, was very experienced. And they said, you know what, one of the issues we've got is, is, that, is, that, is that my employees don't really understand the way a contact center works. They don't really understand what a call center minute is. They don't, don't really understand airlines and understand why it's so critically important that people be in their seat at the time they're supposed to be in their seat. And why we've put so much attention and so much focus on scheduling. And it's because they don't own it, they don't understand it. And if they understood it, they would understand why they need to be in their seats and why they need to be so focused on making sure that they get a good start to the day, that we've got the right people in the seats at the right time. And your performance in a contact center, it's not something you can fake. You really can't politically survive as a leader in a contact center just because you're a really cool person or you know you're in good with the the boss he or she likes you more or or you know you go to lunch with them or there's some politically you're, you're tied to somebody politically in a contact center your performance is just out there everyone can see it and it, and, it, and 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 that's that's a blessing and a curse right it's a blessing because you actually are, are directly attributable to your numbers. You can see them. Everybody can see them. They can see when you're doing well, when you're hitting the targets that you need to, and they can see when you're not. And, and no great connection, no political advantage is going to help you. And of course, that, the curse of that is, of course, that, that you know what? People are going to see what they're going to see. So in your performance, you know, there are some things that you can do that, that can help you have a better performance. And there are things that you can do today, right now, when you get off this podcast that will make a difference. And, and there are things that you, that, you, that you need to do over and over and over again, but they can make a difference. So the first one is, is I was talking to a gentleman by the name of Tim Montgomery, and I've got a video podcast coming out with him, and he's probably the workforce management guru. He knows more about workforce than just about anybody that I know. And, you know, he talks about, about, you know, about numbers where there, there's one truth, one set of numbers that everybody works off. Do you have an organization that has multiple numbers or your supervisor is spending a lot of time calculating and looking at numbers? They shouldn't have to. You need one set of numbers that everybody's working off the same one truth because from that truth, everybody can measure up and you can have a true understanding of your performance and know that everybody can own the numbers because the numbers are all the same. Little things in your performance really count. Extra coaching. I'm talking about a lot of extra coaching and repetitive coaching. Reminders, reminding people of things they do well, reminding things of, of things that people do poorly. Encouragement, extra encouragement, extra training, extra recognition. Anytime that you can increase the amount of, of touches, of conversations, of interactions, of reminders, of encouragement, of coaching to your frontline employees and to your supervisors, they add up, they make a difference. 
If we've got 100 people in your call center or 200 people in your call center and we can coach them each one more time a week, that's 200 more coaching uh, interactions. 200 or two times a week, I guess, if I got 100 people, uh, two times 100 would be 200. But you get, you get 200 more instances where you're coaching, creating time and place where your supervisors can coach more. Uh, another, another quality monitoring session, another side-by-side, -side, another stop-in to recognize or acknowledge what somebody's done. I'm in this business of, of trying to create more coaching, more recognition, more encouragement. It works every single time. It changes performance because we're changing performance one person at a time. Saying something generally to everybody is great, but specifically being able to hone in on a particular frontline employee and helping them to get better, helping them to be uh, be better at adherence, be better at attendance, to get better at the things that count one person at a time makes a huge difference and can change your performance. How are we doing with the trifecta, oh, number one up of performance? Second up is your customer. That's the second, second leg in the stool of the customer performance trifecta. Are you customer driven? Are you an organization that's customer centric where your customer is, is, is critical to the understanding of your performance and how you're doing? What part do customer words play? Do the customer words that your, that your customers say about your employees, are you getting them into your frontline employees as quickly as possible? Customer information should be first. It may not be your priority because there's other things that you've got that are priority, but they ought to be first. Getting the information into your employees' hands as quickly as possible. Any sort of customer feedback goes a long way to, to help your employees change because customer words change behavior. Customer feedback changes behavior. If you were to, if you were to, to look at an information and say that you ask a customer what, what their, their experience was with the, the, what their experience was with the service level of an employee on a scale of one to five, and the customer gave them a five, and you shared that with your employee, or the customer said, you know what, they did a great job, I loved them, they showed a lot of empathy, I love the way that they used my name, and I love the fact that when I made a statement, they acknowledged it. Which one would be more valuable? Well, obviously, it's more valuable to your employee to get those customer words because they, they're acknowledging positive behavior that they've done and they're reinforcing many of the rules and ideas and concepts and, and operations or, or, or the structure by which you walk through and communicate to your customers. So, so those words matter. If I were to turn around and say, okay, listen, I, I, can, I can get 5,000 bits of information. If you're the leader, I want those numbers, man. I want to see that 4.4, that 4.5. And while I love the words, I get a lot of words, but if I'm going to get 5,000 words, they're going to be very difficult for me to be able to tabulate. I can't do anything with them. But your frontline employee can use those words. Those words actually make a difference. Do you have enough feedback for your employees? Are they getting enough feedback from their customers? And are, are, you, are you gathering enough data that you can use to contribute to them to give them to it? You see, an extra employee action can really make a difference with your frontline, with, with, with your customers. Them taking one more step, doing one more thing, it's sometimes the difference between, between a customer that's satisfied and a customer that's loyal. Well, we know that, that, that any time that they can do that, any time that they can make that, take that step to do one more thing that makes a difference, it, it, it matters. The question is, can you measure it?
Can you celebrate it? Do you know that it exists? Do you measure it? Do we keep track of it? Do you measure legacies in your organization? When you walk into your organization, is it easy for anyone to tell you the customer legacy stories that mattered, the things that made a difference? Is there a way for you to, to, to talk about them? Are they, are, they, are, they, are, they, are they in stone somewhere? Are they set up where you can walk by? Do we teach them? Name me some of your legacy examples. Name me some of the legacy things that you measure. Do I have an employee that's got 10,000 perfect scores? 20,000 perfect scores. If you work for an airline, that number might be well over 100,000. Do you measure that? Do you keep track of it? If you don't, you should. Because that kind of customer data make, makes a difference because it, it allows us to have a, a, a stronger relationship with our customers and it gives us a reason to be customer-centric. It gives us an understanding of the reason and the purpose why we do things. And those extra steps, the extra things that people do, they create a wave of extra steps, of extra effort, of discretionary effort where somebody does something just because they can, because they know it's the right thing to do, because it fits into, it fits into your culture, which is something that really, really matters. Because your culture of having a culture that's reflective of your customers, a culture where, where you are in the business of, of exceeding your customers' expectations, it's it becomes a, a, a lifestyle. It becomes a part of the way things are done in your organization. It becomes a part of who you are and why you are. And the culture of your organization, a culture that's driven towards, towards delivering for customers, of making a difference with customers, when, it, when a frontline employee recognizes the fact that, that their interaction, their one singular transaction with a customer can make a difference, and it can make a difference because you've shown it to them that other people have made a difference is what gets you that extra effort. It's what gets you better scores, better performance, better loyalty from your customers. And it happens one person, one transaction at a time. You've heard me say, if you've listened to my podcast, that the very worst employee you have today is going to speak to more of your customers than your most highfalutin marketing executive may speak to in a year, in one single day. So... Your customers matter. They're the second leg of the trifecta. The third leg of the trifecta, of course, is your people. And we've just spent the first two in performance and customers talking about your people. Do you keep your best people? Do you really hold on to your best people? Do you have actions and plans to hold on to your best people? I have a client that has, is struggling with turnover. Turnover is upwards of 30%. Got 300 people in their organization. So 30% is a lot of people. But their top 100 people, they aren't losing them. They're, they've got a 1% to 2% turnover rate in their, in their top 100. In their top 200, their rate is about 6 or 7%. So they're holding on to their best people. Where they're, where they're losing it big time is, is they're losing it on, in, their, in their third tier in turning over that, that last 300. So 30% is terrible and a horrible number in this environment. Maybe you're experiencing, maybe you're not. But they are holding on to their best people. Because they're focused on doing that and they're focused on having the capacity to do that and hold on to the people that really, really matter. Are you, are you adding talent? Are you an organization with your people that, that you're doing a good job at new hires? Is that a core competency of you? Well, are, 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 you, are you adding talent, which means that you've got a core competency on how you bring on new people? Are you adding skills? Are your people getting better? 
not just a little bit better, but getting a lot better? Do you have instances and examples where your people are getting significantly better in a particular area, in a, in a particular uh, overcoming a problem? Are you seeing it in their performance, in their CSAT scores, or perhaps in their AHT? Do you have examples of where people are getting significantly better? And is your, is your employee loyalty getting better? Are, is, your, is your turnover rate going down? Is it a trend where you're holding on to your people longer? Because in this environment, where it's so hard to find people, holding on to your people is, is equally as important, if not more important. And do you actually, are you actually in control of the ebb and flow of your people in and out of your organization? Do you have actionable plans, purpose, and strategy to hold on to your people? Are, are they actually being implemented? Can you see the campaigns associated with making your people, making your people smarter, more educated, more coached? more connected, more connected to you, more connected to the company, more connected to their customers, more connected to their peers? Do you have examples of more encouragement, more coaching? Do you have, do you have examples of, of, of training and, and burst training where we've communicated and, and filled in some gaps or filled in some holes? Basically, I'm asking when it comes to your people, are you thriving or are you surviving? And you're thriving if you've got a plan. The plan doesn't necessarily always need to work, but you've got a plan. And if the plan isn't working, then you change the plan. Or are you surviving? Or are you just kind of holding on? Are you so focused on, on performance that you've left out the people or left out the customer? Because all three of these legs have to work together. Your people, your customers, and your performance. That's the trifecta. You want to box these together to be successful. And so my question to you again is, how are you doing with the contact center trifecta? Not very hard to measure. Let's just use your thumbs up and thumbs down. Stick your thumb out. How are you doing with your performance? Is your thumb pointing up, kind of pointing sideways, or pointing down? How are you doing with your people? And how are you doing with your customers? You should pursue the contact center trifecta. It's one of the things you do when you're a leader. The other thing that you do when you're a leader, if you're listening to these podcasts, is you know that you can be a great leader. Are you a great leader yet? Are you on the path to becoming a great leader? Are you putting the work in? Are you focused on the areas that where, where you need more help in leadership? Are you focused on the areas where you may, maybe you're doing really well, but you know what? Maybe I can get more education. Maybe I can learn more. Do you have someone that's coming alongside you to help you? Maybe generally, but maybe there's a specific area that you need to work on. Maybe you have a future in a different area and you need to spend more time so that you can be a great leader over there as well. You can be a great letter, a leader. You can be a great letter too, I guess, but you can be a great leader. It just takes hard work, it takes focus, and it takes someone coming alongside. Listen, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I look forward to talking to you next week. Go be great somewhere. I'm always interested in your feedback, always interested in an area that you might want me to focus on. Maybe it's an area that you need to get better at. Maybe there's an area of leadership that you need to work harder at and you'd like to know more. Send me a note. I'd love to talk about that area, see if I can help fill you up, help contribute to your success at being a great leader. Look forward to talking to you next week. Bye-bye now. You are being forwarded to the Contact Center Coach.